why do banks do valuations? How are they done? And what happens if the valuation comes in less than what you paid? Can a low valuation derail your finance pre-approval? Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about bank valuations and we have a guest expert to demystify the process, explain the different types of valuations, at what stage they happen and what your options are. There's an issue with the bank valuation. Andrew Wheatley is a mortgage broker and the owner of Wheatley Finance. But before we get to Andrew and all the things that he can teach us today, um, what is your special, it's not a house, is it behind you? It's no, a building. it's not. <laughs> I thought in keeping with the theme of, you know, banks, money, valuations and so forth, I went hunting around for the most interesting bank building designs. This is <laughs> ING House um, in Amsterdam and it has two nicknames. I really struggled to work out myself what I thought it looked like. I don't. What, what do you guys think it looks like? ATM. <laughs> like a, a big foot. Yeah, so it's got two nicknames. Yeah. One is the shoe and the <sighs> other is the handheld vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Oh, it's pretty ugly, I have to say. <laughs> anyway. Whenever, whenever anyone shows me a photo from Amsterdam and says, try to guess what this is, that's nervous. Are you suggesting they might have yeah. been smoking some wax when they designed it? <laughs> <A little> altered. <laughs> All right, let's get into the important things we're going to talk about in this episode. Yeah, Andrew, thanks for joining us. It's lovely to have you on. And we love having experts because we, we talk very much in your first home buyer guide, the course, we talk very much about engaging with experts in their fields and people staying in their lanes of expertise. So we are not the money people. We are not the valuation people. We know there's a lot of questions that need to be answered and possibly even some questions you didn't even know that you needed to ask. So let's kick off with what might seem like a pretty basic question. Why do banks need to value a property? Well, the main reason that banks need to value property is in the end, that's their security. If everything goes wrong, at some point, that's where the bank gets their money back. So they need to know what's backing their loan up. You know, if you lose your job, get sick, the economy, whatever, the reason doesn't matter. Is the security they're getting worth enough that they feel safe that they're going to get their money back? And is, is it acceptable? So 
that's why banks want to have uh, evaluation done. Uh, there's many different types of valuations that they do. And um, I think probably to put the right context to it is to, uh, to start with explaining the most common scenario that um, you need to be aware of how valuations work, which is right at the start when you're getting a pre-approval from a bank. Um, a mistake a lot of people can make is thinking that I've been approved by the bank or pre-approved or conditionally approved, whatever the term is, mm. prior to buying and thinking, that's it, I'm now done, I can just buy and everything will look after itself from here. The reason it's called a, often called a conditional approval is there are still conditions attached to it. And the main one is that the bank doesn't know what you've purchased yet. So what they're really mm. saying is we, your employment's okay, your credit, your credit history's okay, you earn enough money, you've got enough savings or whatever it is. We tick, tick, tick on all of those things. So we'll give you the loan if we're happy with what you purchase. And they determine that by doing a valuation after you've purchased it. So that's why it's really crucial to understand what a valuation is, what can go wrong, why it's important. So otherwise you could rush ahead too far down the path and find yourself in trouble later. Because it is all about risk, isn't it? And I think that's what a lot of buyers mm. don't realise. The risk they're taking is that if they buy something that the bank's not happy with um, or they pay more than the bank's happy to agree it's worth, then that's where there's a gap. And, now, and I think that you probably are going to tell us it doesn't happen that often, but I think it is important that we do cover off and understand under what circumstances this sort of scenario could happen. Because I guess before we hit, you know, I'll get you to explain the different types of evaluations in a minute. But before we do that, if the valuation is, comes up short, effectively that means that the buyer needs to find more money from somewhere else, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And you can have people like me sit around all day saying, oh, it hardly ever happens, it hardly ever happens. But if you're the person it happens to, mm. it's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I have seen it happen and I've heard pl plenty of story, stories of it happening. Um, without getting too much into the maths of it, Let's say that um, I'll, I'll keep this simple. So you're buying a prop. I'll say you're buying a property for a hundred thousand. Clearly, doesn't exist. I'm just not good at maths. So <laughs> not I'm going to use a hundred thousand. So and the banks agreed to lend you ninety percent. Right? You're going to put in ten percent. They're going to lend you the other ninety. Right? So so what the bank is saying is we'll lend you ninety thousand to purchase a property for a hundred. Now, if the valuation comes back at ninety. The bank is going to say, we don't care what you paid for it. We think it's worth 90. We're not lending you 90,000, right? We'll lend you 90% of 90,000. But you've still bought it for 100. So you now have to now, instead of putting in $10,000, you've got to put in that first 10 and then the rest to get back to a position where the bank's happy to do the loan. So it's not what makes it even a little bit more complicated and look, this is slightly getting into the legal side of things. So clearly we all, we talk about staying in our lanes. I'm not a conveyancer. So but, um, you can think you're covered by a finance clause, right? Now a, fi a finance clause is when you sign the contract to say, if our loan gets declined by the bank, then we can walk away from the deal. But a low valuation isn't a decline. Ooh. It's the bank saying we've approved you you need to put in more money. And if you've got more money, they've approved your loan. So you could have been in a position where 
you thought you were going to have some money left over, but you're now committed to this this deal going through. So it's it's just so important when you're you know purchasing property to to know what you're buying and make sure that you're paying a fair market value for it because Absolutely. these are the kind of things that that can happen afterwards. Yeah, mm. Andrew, I'll just pick up on your point there because I think it's a really relevant one. So we're talking about two different purchasing processes here, one being an unconditional mm. purchase. We're going to go into that shortly. But you mentioned there a conditional purchase where perhaps the offer was made that is subject to, to finance. And depending on which state you're in, that condition can be worded quite differently. So yeah. as you rightly pointed, point, pointed out, in some states and um, under some contracts, um, it is actually based on a, the decline of the loan, not terms that are satisfactory to the buyer, whereas in other states, and particularly Queensland, I'll talk from that perspective, it is actually on terms that are sat satisfactory to the buyer. So there may be an out in that case if you know the, they couldn't get the valuation to, to come up. So there can be some differences in the way those clauses are, are worded that may or may not give protection. You can't assume that you will have protection if the valuation doesn't come up, though. The overarching um, solution to the problem is have done your due, due diligence to be paying the right price for the property. And then these problems don't come up. Reaching to the converted <laughs> here. <laughs> Andrew, tell us, there's a bunch of different types of valuations. And I remember some years back when I was, I was, borrow, I was buying another investment property and I got a bunch of properties um, valuate, valuated valued by the bank because you know there's the first time you buy it isn't the only time you'll often get the property valued you know you might mm. refinance you might actually borrow against it to buy an investment property etc and they came back to me and said okay we can do an avm or i think it was a desktop or I'll go and get a full valuation and the amount that they had let me borrow against each one was different or the percentage amount was different according to what valuation methodology was chosen. I'd never seen that before. That to me sort of said that the risk was attached to the type of valuation methodology and some obviously are more robust and more reliable than others. So I'm sort of leading down a bit of a complicated path here, but I'm hoping that you might be able to sort of shed some light on those different types of valuations and why they might be used and I guess how reliable they are or are not. Mm. And, and and also what the purposes of them are because, you know, obviously if you're trying to work out what your property's worth, it's actually it's a different type of valuation purpose than for finance, right? Yeah, and I think the best way to, to answer that, to, to give a little bit of context of the way I'm trying to approach this is that so like currently I'm a mortgage broker, right? In previous lives, I was approving loans in a bank. Um, and then also at one point approving loans for a mortgage insurer. So like I like to take the approach of looking at this from what's the bank's point of view because because in the end, it doesn't actually matter what I think or what a person buying a house thinks. The bank makes the rules in the end. Yeah. So <laughs> like we can spend, like I'm all for making fun of banks and saying, oh, that's bureaucracy and what they're doing there doesn't make any sense and, and it's silly but it doesn't get you anywhere. So you know, when an issue comes up, while it's okay to maybe take a little bit of time to get frustrated at the bank, the only way to solve it is to understand what is the bank trying to do here. And banks have, the reason banks have policies for everything is it costs too much to have to individually work out, you know, do we want to lend money to Veronica mm. on that property and that property and that property? 
they, they could only probably, each person who works in the bank could maybe look at one loan a day. So they yeah. chuck everything into buckets, right? They're going to say that, and it's all done by data. So it'll be out of the last, you know, 10,000 loans we did, when this particular problem came up on evaluation, it didn't really cause any problems. So, we, so we're not going to worry about that one. This other problem, we had enough of them go wrong that we now just don't want to do those anymore. And it could be that most of them are actually okay, but there's just enough. So you'll see things come up and you go, this doesn't make any sense. Why are they saying that's a problem? It probably isn't, okay? But what you've got is some person, you know, someone like us, just a normal person doing their job, sitting in a bank, who when something is outside policy, they have to put their name next to it to say, I'm okay to override policy and let this go through anyway. They're basically risking their job. Mm, on it mm. and for what why like what's their they don't have any motivation they don't get a bonus because of it or, or stuff like that so you you really have to put yourself in their shoes give them a really good reason to make an exception to do it now i've gone slightly off track there but i think it's just important to keep that in mind that it's one of those situations where you can win the argument but lose the lose battle, the battle. Mm. right Great so if that's leading us into the different types of valuations, again, banks are big businesses. It's about money, right? So generally the banks are paying for the valuation. There are some smaller banks that will charge you for it, but most of the time um, the bank is going to cover the cost of the valuation. So they want to save money. So again, they've gone through the data and it will be done by different types of houses in different kinds of suburbs and how much deposit are you putting in there assessing the risk. If they feel like it's a pretty low risk, they'll go with their, their cheapest type of valuation, which is an AVM, which is basically a computer. Mm. Their computer trolls through recent sales of three-bedroom houses in that suburb and just goes, that looks roughly good enough. Done. Okay? So basically cost the bank nothing. So, so on a low risk, they're going to go with that. The next one up would be what's usually called a desktop valuation, which will go to a, an actual real person, a valuer, but they, they never leave their desk. They'll just maybe do some Google searches. They'll look around. They'll look at the, the pictures on the website selling the property and they'll say, yep, yeah, that looks roughly this and they'll give it a value. Okay. The, the next one up, which doesn't seem to happen much anymore, maybe I'm just getting a bit old, uh, is called a drive-by valuation. So this time the valuer gets in their car, they drive to the property, but they don't come inside. They just sit out on the street, have a look, do a little bit of research online and they do it. And then the last one is called a full valuation. That's where the value is going to ring up, make an appointment, come around, come inside, take photos, look at everything uh, and write up a full valuation. As you remember, tell, each one of those is more expensive than the last. Mm. And the bank is just trying to work out, weigh up their risk versus the cost. And, and, and that's how their, like, their computer will pick which valuation it's going to go to. You would imagine most first home buyers, because they're borrowing such a huge proportion mm. of the value of the property, probably qualify to get full valuations. Would that be a fair assumption? Because yeah, of the risk, the volume? Yeah. Does Lenders Mortgage Insurance requirements come into that as well? Would they yeah. be more inclined to, to yeah. want a full valuation? Yeah. So because it's all about risk, um, if you're putting in less than a 20% deposit, that's the mark where banks usually go, oh, it's a little bit more risky and they're probably going to want a full valuation done. Mm. Okay. Um, but they can ask for it at any time. 
Okay. Um, most of the time, a purchase will involve a full valuation. Okay. Uh, and look, I guess, call back to earlier, which you would expect to come in at contract price. I mean, the you would hope that you've paid market value. Done your due uh, diligence and <laughs> paid the right yeah, price. It, it, yeah. Worked out I mean, your... your yeah, at risk of, I guess, repeating myself, that's the, and this is where I can't really speak as an expert, but you just need to be satisfied that you have done your due diligence. You know? I mean, you're entering into a legal contract for, for what, at that point of your life, I'm going to assume is the biggest purchase that you've ever made. Mm. And if everything goes well, it's going to make your life immensely better. Mm. Like it's a, like buying your first home. It's a life changer. It's like I know from me and, and all the clients I deal with, it's incredible, right? Um, so it would be, and it can also be the, one of the most exciting things you'll ever do. But if you do your homework, I know it's a bit boring, like no one wants to do their homework. You want to just see a house, fall in love with it, ask them how much they want and, and buy it. And hope you but can if you've it. done your homework, you will be able to enjoy this process so much more, so much more. Oh, yeah. And, in fact, we actually have a free mini course for anyone who hasn't done it yet. Download it for free, literally homebaracademy.com.au forward slash free course. And it is a a little three videos that will teach you the pricing process so that you can go in having prepared. But that's only part of the due diligence process, let me tell you. But it will actually teach you how to work out the right price to offer. Now, would it be? Actually, just on on that, Veronica, just to to share something with anyone watching or listening. So I'm dealing with people purchasing property all the time, but let's say particularly first, first home buyers. When I can tell when I'm dealing with a client who who has done some research, understands the process, and the, one of the biggest differences, they tend to buy a lot quicker, right? Mm. And and if I was going to say what's the biggest correlation between first home buyers who have a really like fun, enjoyable, exciting process versus people who are frustrated and stressed, it's almost how long it takes. Because if the people who, and this isn't a knock on anyone, but if they kind of haven't done their homework, they're, you're umming and ahhing, you see a place, you like it, but then you're not sure how much to offer, and then you come back a couple of days later, someone else has bought it. And then you, oh, and then you find out what they paid for it. It's like, oh, I would have bought it, but, I, but <laughs> you're just, you're, you become slower than everyone else. Sl- slower to say no and slower to say yes, uh, and it just, it just ruin it doesn't ruin it, but it diminishes the experience so much. Totally agree. I mean, people yeah. get frustrated to the point that. that they then will either jump in, you know, boots oh, and all yes. up mm, because they're so frustrated the and they'll just give up and just whatever, or they'll disappear and they just will take themselves out of the marketplace and not buy at all. So the two extremes mm. in terms of reactions to that, uh, neither of which are really good. Um, we are definite advocates of people actually doing all of their research beforehand and being prepared. And, and you're absolutely right. Then you can make those quick decisions because you're better armed. Now, let's back to the valuers. Do valuers work for the bank? I mean, I've, I've heard of panels, right? So what, what is the deal with banks and valuers and panels? Yeah. So this is one of those um, questions where I often end up um, 
sticking up for banks, which can feel weird sometimes because we, we we all like to stick the boot in it's on, like on us, banks. It's like us sticking up for real estate agents. We get it. <laughs> we get what they're trying to achieve. <laughs> yeah. So I, I will sometimes have people come to me and say, like, I hate that bank. They valued my house and, and it was and it was way, worth way less. I mean, I'm insulted. I never want to deal with that bank again. Mm. And you sort of have to explain that bank valuers do not work for banks. Mm. So the reason they call it panel valuers is all the banks will have a, two or three valuation companies in each postcode or each area, right? When, when the bank's computer system is ordering a valuation, it just randomly sends it to one of those. It's like the next one at the top of the list, you get the next valuation, you get the next one, you get the next one. Mm. And it just keeps going around. Um, those people don't work for the bank. They're just like sub subcontracted companies that get paid a fee to do the valuation. So when you get, say, a, a, a good valuation or a bad valuation, it was the company that did it, nothing to do with the bank. Like the people in the bank get frustrated too because they want to write business. Like banks get paid, they make money by doing loans, mm. right? So if a valuation comes in low and causes a problem, they're not happy, right? Sometimes they get just as cranky at, at a valuer as well. Um, so that's the fir yeah, first thing to bear in mind. There's no point holding a grudge with the bank. It's random, totally random. Which is what, funny because you do yeah, hear... That, that <laughs> You do hear people say, oh, you know, St. George always comes in low or, you know, or yeah. CBA, they always come in high. You know, you, you do hear these generalisations, but clearly they're, yeah. they're based on nothing, based on just spurious data at best. Yeah. Look, I would say sometimes, say AVMs, okay, so that's kind of an algorithm that the banks put in their computer system. I, I, I would say there are some that skew higher and lower on that. But when you're getting to a, a full, like a going out, a person who's going out and looking at looking at the property, and valuers are professionals. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to knock knock valuers. They've they um, they have to do a lot of study. They have to get qualified. You know, you can't just go and be a valuer. Um, but it's but in that it's their professional opinion, and I, I see wide variations. I've seen variations of hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. on the same property, mm. like two different valuers going out there. So have we. Amazing, isn't it? And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I guess it's important to probably note too, the banks just don't kind of randomly choose, well, a, a valuer off Google. They The valuation firms who are on the panel actually go through a process of, of being vetted and, and um, assessed as being appropriate to be on the bank's panel. So it's not random from that point of view, is it? It's, it's more random of the ones who have qualified to be on the panel maybe those valuations get sent out randomly to those firms that have been um, assessed as being appropriate. Oh, yeah, good good point, Megan. You're right. Yeah, it's when I say it's sent out randomly, like to the people who are on the panel. Yes. It's mm. randomly assigned, yeah, not just to, <laughs> to anyone. Not just to anyone. anyone. <laughs> um, so, look, I, I guess what it, what it means then is, so knowing that, um, uh, I think are we kind of getting to some of the problems that can come up with valuations? Yeah, but, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, definitely want to get yeah. to the problems. First yeah. of all, when are valuations mm -hmm. ordered and how does mm -hmm. it work with auctions? Because you're, you're saying that valuations yeah. are ordered after you've purchased. However, when you go to auction, you're bidding on the basis of hoping mm -hmm. that, and there's no unconditional. You can't actually make it conditional on finance when you're bidding at auction. Correct. So there's two, if we. If we're talking about valuations, that the starting point is that valuations are either going to be done on property you already own. 
Okay. Now that can be done with what's called an upfront valuation, uh, which is just that the valuation can be done before you even apply to the bank. Okay. So if I had a client come to me and they maybe own one or two properties, they're thinking of buying another one. We can order as many valuations from different banks on the existing properties as we want before we even pick which bank to apply to. Okay. So then there's no mystery. We've, we've got the, I, I've got the report in front of me. I know exactly what it says. Okay. However, when you're purchasing a property, the bank can't purchase what you, they can't value what you haven't bought yet. Mm. Okay. So, so in that case, you have to sign a contract for the property before you know what the valuation is going to be on a bank, from a bank. And the riskiest version of that is when you purchase at auction. Okay. Um, because, uh, and again, I'm putting my amateur conveyancer legal hat on again, just make clear, not, not, a, not a lawyer. So there's lots of great things about buying at auction, right? And you, you two know that way better than me. From a finance point of view, right, the risk of it is always hope the valuation comes back fine, mm. okay? Because at that point, that's the only real thing that can go wrong. If you've got your pre-approval in place and a client of mine is going to auction, all that can really go wrong is the valuation at that point. Okay. So, um, and again, I feel like I'm just saying due diligence, due diligence, <laughs> due, due diligence, because that's the bit I can't control, right? So mm. that's where I kind of get nervous and, 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 and hope that it doesn't fall apart. Um, however, if you're not purchasing at auction, you might be able to put a clause in the contract to say, you know, if, the, if our loan gets declined, and really the only reason at that point it should be declined would be from the valuation, that you can get your deposit back, you know, no harm, no foul, everyone shakes hands, walks away, it's all okay. Um, and so what would happen is, so so, um, so client of mine or a couple of clients of mine just bought on the weekend and they'll, you know, you'll get that text, yeah, we went to the auction, we got the property, everyone's excited, we're all texting back and forth and all really happy. Um, but then one of my texts is always like, Set, now send me the copy of the signed contract as quickly as you can. As soon as everybody signed it, I need to get it because that's what you need to then order the valuation. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Valuations usually only take a day or two to come back. Okay. And then that's when everyone can like let their breath out. That's the relief, isn't it? But it can take a few days, particularly when there's been a, a large number of transactions happening in the last couple of, you know, let's call it nine to 12 months. Um, I've seen valuation times um, blow out to five or six days, which is really tough. Yeah. And so all as a, as the purchaser, all you, the only bit you can control is get, that signed contract back mm. to whoever's organising your finance, whoever mm. that is, get that signed contract to the back to them as quickly as possible so they can order the valuation. Yeah. Right. That's the only bit you can control. That's, and that's make sure the, the agent re responds to the value when they call to arrange access if they need access <laughs> to the property. They're pretty motivated to do that, which is thank <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. Uh, that's part of our process in our business too. The minute we exchange contracts in New South Wales, you exchange contracts, we take a screenshot or a photo of the that signed and executed front page and send it off to the, uh, to the broker. And also if you buy in, in New South Wales, you can't really 
um, by un- by conditionally with a finance clause in New South Wales, whereas you can elsewhere in the country, but you can buy with a cooling off period under certain circumstances, and you've got those five days with with within which to get that finance converted from a pre-approval to an unconditional approval, and that's when that valuation occurs in that time. When you're talking about the blowouts there, Megan, in terms of um, when the demand has been really high and potentially mm. people being off with COVID and all the rest of it, and supply chains slowing mm. down as they do in so many areas. Areas. We've had certain circumstances where the cooling off period's been agreed to, you know, by negotiation to be extended to 10 days or so. Certainly over Christmas period, sometimes that happens. You might definitely want to put some extra days in there because obviously that's a, that's a period of high holidays and whatever. But um, but generally speaking, um, we don't come across too many valuation issues, but we certainly heard of it. And you certainly said there's some stories that you may want to share with us. What do you do if there is an issue with the valuation and what sort of issues can come up? can happen. Yeah. So I would say the, the first thing to look at when there's an issue with the valuation is, is it an issue that's raising something that might want to make you reconsider if you want to buy the property? Okay, that's the, the first thing that you need to look at. So it's give us really an example. Not, not sure. So I had uh, a young couple fairly recently, I think it was about two months ago, so around, around early May, and they were um, purchasing their first property and they just they were purchasing an apartment. So it wasn't like a massive high-rise block, but it was a block, block of apartments. Uh, and the valuer had raised that um, the building had cladding and they didn't, they could, they, the valuer said, we can't tell um, if the cladding has been replaced or not because um, certainly in um, in Melbourne, there's a lot of ones that have asbestos in the cladding, which means at some point it needs to be replaced. You replace a whole building's worth of cladding, that can be extremely expensive and that has to get paid for by all the owners of the apartment, okay? So if it was the case that it wasn't compliant, whoever purchased the property could somewhere in the next few years maybe cop it Ten or twenty thousand dollar bill to have to contribute to it. Mm. So, so the valuer came up with this. The, the, yeah, the, the valuer mm, part. Yeah, well, mm. the valuer just said, "I don't know. I can't tell. Yeah. All I know is it's got cladding, and I can't tell if it's got it or not." All right. So the clients went back to the to the agent who was a bit wishy washy about because there should be a certificate. Okay, basically, yeah. can you show us the certificate that this is compliant? After a couple of days, it turned out it wasn't. The clients then had the choice whether mm. to go ahead or not and purchase it. In this case, they decided, no, we'll pass on it. We don't, want, we don't want to have that risk hanging over our head of a big bill coming down the track, and they passed away. So that was an example of someone having an issue raised on evaluation that, that changed their mind about buying the property. Mm. So, so in, in their view, they, they had a problem with the valuation that they were happy about. Yeah. As in, it, it, they were happy it alerted to them know. to something. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, they, they, they alerted them to something they, they hadn't worked out themselves. It raised an issue that they weren't aware of. Mm. And, um, the most common um, things that will come up in, in valuations uh, is like where it's low, okay, which we kind of touched on at the start, just that basic maths of if, it, if the, the bank is going to work off the lower of the contract price or the valuation. Yeah. And so if the valuation comes in lower, you're either got to put in more cash or maybe pay more mortgage insurance mm. than you had originally intended mm. to do. Mm. Okay. If you don't have the money, then then that becomes a becomes a problem. 
Probably the next most common thing would be a valuer noting some essential repairs on the property. So, and this is, I guess, another one of those examples that every time it comes up, um, the reaction is, oh, the valuer, they don't know, and those things. Again, it, and I'll just go back to, it's a fight that you really can't win, <laughs> right? It's it's so rare that valuers will change, change. Yeah. what they put in their report. Mm. So I don't have any problem with content. So you can contest evaluation, but if that's your only plan, you're, that's a massive risk. You contest the valuation, but you need a plan B and a plan C running at the same time. So you need to know so, your comparables inside out if you're going to contest. I mean, we, we've attempted oh, yeah. to contest a number of times mm. and we really would be less than 20% successful. Well, what I would Mainly say- because they don't want to be told how to do their job. <laughs> yeah. oh, there's <laughs> there's human no nature one. in it. Yes. Yeah. No, no professional likes to be told they're wrong. Yeah. Um, and so they'll dig, they'll dig their heels in. Mm. Um, the, you're saying like a 20% success rate. I, I would say that- of all of the valuations, when a value is valued a property and we're saying, like, we think it's worth more, I'm struggling to think of one that was overturned that didn't involve a buyer's advocate. Mm -hmm. oh, interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. But because also, the, sometimes the ability to, to find those comparables, yeah, and really point out what difficult. the um, superior and inferior aspects are, I think yeah. that's and, the big and thing. And then also being able to talk the language yes. of, of valuers. Um, so I would say the success rate is probably more like, you know, 1% mm. for most people or less than 1%. <laughs> yeah. um, and, but if you happen to have prof a professional, yeah, I guess you might have a 20% chance, which is, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's interesting. You'd hope that the uh, the the buyer's advocate got it right, but um, it's it's on those occasions where you can really see that the the comparables are just incorrect, um, or, or just they've chosen the wrong information, or they haven't got the most recent sales information available. Oh, well, so actually, so to be more specific, I when I say that, um, I've never had a purchase of a of an existing property through a buyer's advocate that's valued in under. Right. All right. right. Got it. <clears throat> you know, um, the times where I've seen overturned is actually when we'll either have some relate the client might have some relationship to a buyer's advocate, or I'm trying to pull in a favour. Say, hey, can you have a look at this? And I'm like, that's when it gets. That's when it gets over. That's when it gets overturned. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I've had some experiences over the years. Very, it's very unusual that we do have valuation coming low, um, and we try to anticipate that by quite often. We might even meet the valuer sometimes just hand over our research and and don't try to explain or justify it because then they get all they get their back up because they're like, don't try to sell to me. And it's, like, it's all right, we're the buyer's agent. We're trying to protect the client from paying too much. But at the same time, we're trying to make your job easy. Um, but um, I know it, the house that I live in now, actually, um, when I bought that, it had been bought a year previously by this couple of young guys who thought they were going to knock it down and redevelop. They thought they were going to subdivide. They did not do any due diligence this pair because it's a conservation area. So they had Buckley's being able to do that. And so a year later, they all their, their dreams of property development or, or dash they decided to sell. And look, the market had been going up, so I paid a bit more than they had paid a year earlier. But it turned out to be the same bank value, the same value I happened to do it the second oh. time, right? And so, and it came in quite a lot lower and I'd done all my research and, and, and I was like, well, I could justify where I paid. 
and they came in a lot lower and they valued it where they valued it the year before. And mm. it was actually less than the people a year before even paid, right? So, and he's just, and I went back and it didn't matter because I didn't, you know, in terms of the LVR, it didn't matter for me because I had enough equity in other property. But at the time I went back to say, look, the reality is that I've got these comps that are really relevant and and I think they stack up well. His justification for not adjusting it was that he did it a year ago, they were wrong and he was right and he's still right. Even though two sales had happened since he valued it, <laughs> that, that it were for more than what he valued, so the evidence is the market in this case, but he just said, no, I valued it last time and they were wrong then and they're still wrong and you're wrong too. <laughs> yeah. So well, we're like, so, okay. Yeah. Well, so Can happen would, to the so, best of you. Yeah. yeah. But you know when I mentioned earlier, like, Getting into the fight fights with valuers and banks <laughs> is not the best. Sometimes, sometimes you have to, but it's yeah. not the best use of time. Mm-hmm. So, so when I mentioned before that you want a plan B, okay, this is the most common plan. This is my plan B, right? Which is get a valuation from another bank. Yeah. It's like even like while you're fighting. So when you're looking to get a loan, what, so, so okay. So from I'll say from my point of view. So someone's come to me and they're looking to get approval to buy their first home, right? I'm going to go and do some research and I'm going to write up a list of at least, I might have like a list of 10 banks, but I might show them three banks, you know, and say, look, this is the one that looks best. This one's second best, this one's third, and here's why, right? So we get a pre-approval from the bank we think is best. And then let's say there's a problem with the valuation. While we're trying to sort that out, the very first thing we would do is order a valuation from bank number two and bank number three. Yeah. So it's preemptive strike. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Because we already know that everything else about this person is like the bank, like the bank's approved everything else. Mm. And if one Mm. bank's approved it, probably the others will as well. The only issue is the valuation. Mm. So while we're fighting with bank A, if bank B and C comes back, and remember, because they're the these panel valuers, okay, it might go to the same person. (laughs) <laughs> right. We watch that. So if we yeah. know if we know that company A, because we know who, we get a copy of the report. So we know that company A valued that property low. Mm. As we order the second and third ones, we can see who it's assigned to. If it gets assigned to company A, we just cancel it. Why mm. bother wasting our time? And we keep going down the list of banks ordering valuations until until one gets assigned to bank B, sorry, value B. Then we'll keep going until one gets assigned a value of C, okay? <laughs> and then, but then now when they come in, we've now got options, right? Even if, if nothing else, we've, we've got something to work with, mm. right? But that, 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 that's, that's the best approach towards plan B because if you can't turn the value around or the bank around, then your only other option is to pull out of the purchase, but maybe you don't want to. Maybe, maybe the issue the value raised is something you're fine with. Mm. You know, like mm. The valuer has a problem, the bank has a problem, but you don't. And, and again, you've done your due diligence and you, you're happy to buy this property. Well, then you just want to find another bank that will give you the loan. Okay, So that's, the, that's always going to be the very first thing to do is, is get those out there. Which is one of the big advantages, obviously, of using a broker rather than dealing directly with the bank. Because if you deal directly yep. with the bank and then then the, their 
panel value mm-hmm. it came in low and you don't have a plan b or c mm-hmm. uh under those circumstances but but also who would you i mean someone like andrew you 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 can do this all day every day as a first home buyer you've got another job that you need to be doing you don't <laughs> yeah. have time to be going to other banks and and checking who, who the valuer is and you probably don't even know who the valuation is going to be assigned to that's the information that you have ac- access to as a specialist in your field yeah, it's true. Look, it's there's a random, a randomness and a risk, um, like to dealing direct with banks. Now, I, I, I used to work at banks. I know people who work at banks. There's amazing people working in banks. Okay, it's just that it is a little bit of a lottery. You just don't know. Mm. You could you could be dealing with someone who is amazing, or you could be dealing with someone who hates their job and they're resigning in two weeks. You know, and just yeah. doesn't care. You know, or, or we've all worked in companies where there's that person where you go, like, how are they still here? They've been here for 20 years. <laughs> how are they still here? But they just keep holding on to their job, right? So you, and it, another good way of looking at it is just like, you know, if you go to like a hot dog cart on the side of the road and you're hungry and you say, like, give me a look at the menu. Like, well, the menu's hot dogs. Like you get, like, it doesn't matter what you feel like. You're getting a hot dog no matter what else you want. Right. Now, now, if you just if it happens that you love hot dogs and a hot dog is just the perfect thing, then you're in luck, right? However, you know, if you actually if the right thing for you was a, a hamburger or a steak or something else, then the hot guy the hot dog cart isn't going to say, actually, why don't you go down the road or why don't you go around the corner? Like that's like dealing with a branch that no, no one who works directed a bank is going to say, we've got a problem with the valuation. Hey, why don't you go? And get a valuation. Yeah, from the bank yeah. This down one the down here, they, mm. they're a bit more favourable. They're going to yeah. say, "Let me keep." Like they're going to say, "You need to put in more money." Right. If you don't so, know any better, you're going to go, "Oh, is that what I have to do?" Okay. Well, they said put in more money. Oh, here, take my money. You know. And that's mm. the other alternative, but that's assuming you've got more money. Yeah. Or yeah, you end up so going and trying to, to spend, borrow, and steal bit. money yes. from, from family and stuff, and then the the money you had to maybe fix up the kitchen when you moved in is now not there anymore mm. and, all, and, all, and all sorts of things. Yeah. So if yeah. a low valuation does push, you know, if you'd sort of set yourself up for a, a 20% deposit and and the valuation now ends, it means that the money or, no, the bank will only lend you so much. You did those figures before on the $100,000 purchase, <laughs> um, which is <laughs> Veronica and I talk about our first house. My first house was 141000 in 1998, <laughs> but it was falling uh, off the stumps. <laughs> I, I, I just Googled the first place I ever bought a couple of weeks ago. It was a two-bedroom apartment in Adelaide, uh, 130000 it's like 20, nice. just over 20 years ago. Yeah. You didn't yeah. look old enough. God, you must have bought it when you were still at school. <laughs> I was in my <laughs> mid-20s. Uh, so one of the things that that um, could catch first home buyers out could be if they buy a smaller apartment than the bank will lend yes. on, um, and this would be a trap for young players because I, I think a lot of people might inadvertently wander into buying something that the bank may not want to lend on. Does that come up often in you know in your area, in your sphere of yeah. influence? It does. I'm really glad you brought that one up. This is a really good one for first-time buyers to be aware of if you're planning on buying an apartment. Um, so banks will have size restrictions on apartments. It needs to be a certain amount of square meterage of living space, and they do not budge on this. Mm. Like this is a firm, firm rule that you will not get around. So you, if you're planning on buying an apartment and 
as a rule of thumb, over 50 square meters, you're fine. They all do over 50 square meters, right? And um, that, but when you say living space, yeah. does that include balcony? Does that include the car yeah. space? <laughs> exactly. This is where it gets more, more complicated. So like, as a starting point, if just, you know, the bedrooms, the lounge rooms, the bathrooms, the laundry, if that's more than 50 square metres, you're fine. Pick whatever bank you want to go with. Okay. As soon as it's not, you need to be clear about the policy of that bank you're dealing with because, you're right, some of them will include balconies, patios, car spaces. They'll include that in the square meterage and others won't, right? Um, there are there are a very small amount of lenders that will go under 40 square metres, okay? Also studio apartments, so just the one room, okay? Mm. They can be restricted as well. So if you're, I, um, I mean, I can go through heaps of technical stuff, but what I would say here is, if you're thinking of buying um, a studio apartment, if you're thinking of buying an apartment that could be somewhere around that 40, 50 square metre range, okay? if you're thinking of buying an apartment in a high rise, and by high rise, I, banks will generally class that as more than about five or six storeys and say maybe more than 40 or 50 units in it, right? Then you need to be really clear on that bank's policy before mm-hmm. you sign any contract. Mm. Okay. So, I, I remember years ago. That's the discussion I had, with the mortgage broker. Well, yeah, but I had a client that was that was only would deal with St George because they had all their other their um, finance with St George. And they had a broker, and the broker, you know, said, "Okay, well, I can help you with St George too." And and so we were looking at a property for them as an investment. And the broker came back and said, look, we can't buy in that building if you're going to go with St. George. And I said, what do you mean? Well, St. George already owned, they're already financing too too high a proportion of the owners in that that complex. And so they don't want to lend to anybody else in that complex. Their exposure to that building Mm. is too high. It doesn't mean it's a bad building. It just means that that bank has too much in that building. And so they didn't buy that because they just weren't willing to change lenders. But anyone else that had different ability to go different lenders would just been able to find us with a different lender. And this is the thing. It scared the pants off the buyer. And I'm like, well, I get it. If if the bank's overexposed, that doesn't mean the building's a problem. It means the bank's exposure is the problem. There's two different things there. Mm, but mm. yeah, it's the first time I'd ever come across it. So I got them to send me through a list. Um, the list of all the buildings that St. George basically decided they had too much exposure to. This is some years back. And so we just made sure we checked the list every anytime we didn't even go and look at a property if it was in the, on that list for them. It's a shame to limit from bu- purchasing a good quality property, though, isn't it? Just because yeah. you've chosen an institution that's not going to, um, it's their own, you know, their risk profile isn't allowing them to lend into that, that complex. Yeah. I would think you would find with most people aren't that loyal to a bank. No, like, that was unusual. You, yeah, <laughs> you, you you found this great investment property, um, but in order to purchase it, you need to do the loan through a different bank. I mean, really, deal with it. Um, <laughs> talk. Let's talk yeah, about yeah, off plan yeah. because we're, we're talking about large complexes here, and and yeah. you know, Ronick and I have our own personal views on on um, on off plan, but banks also have. Um, a view on those, and we we have seen uh, many a media report in the past of valuations coming in lower than expected. So construction time might be two, three years post contract, 
Um, markets can go up, markets can go down. There's a lot of risk there for, for buyers. Um, what what happens in that instance? So I'll, um, without knowing your view on off-the-plan apartments, so we might, maybe we're going to fall out and start fighting here, but <laughs> my view is overwhelmingly negative. When we are on the same page. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, and, and we're but people are buying them. Yeah. So we're so we're talking about staying in lanes here. But it's not my so I just so it's over twenty years of seeing people come to me. Like, oh, I bought this off the plan apartment two years ago, three years ago. It's got to be finished soon. I need to organise the finance. That's the point where I get involved, and straight away I just know there's a high ch- high chance we're going to have problems here. Mm. Like now. I'm certainly not saying to anyone, don't buy off the plan. I'm not saying that all off the plans are problems. I've spoken to people who made money on off the plan apartments. What I know from my lived experience is that the percentage of them that have problems, and by problems I mean valuation particularly, um, is like so much higher that like, you couldn't even, if you were graphing it, it would be normal problems off the plan problems. <laughs> like, um, so for example, and, and, and it's, it's the, for me, it's the opportunity cost. And a, a client of mine, literally, she just settled on an off the plan apartment two days ago. Okay. So we started working. So she'd contacted me six months ago and we kind of got the loan organized two or three months ago, getting ready for it. Um, so she purchased it. So in Melbourne, uh, 540000 two years ago, right? Now, the idea being, from my point of view, that you get to purchase it at 2020 prices, mm-hmm. but then by 2022, you're hoping you've enjoyed two years Some worth of growth. growth. That's kind mm-hmm. of the selling point of it, right? Mm-hmm. We did five valuations on it. We got two that came back at what she paid for it and three that came in at less than what she paid for it. Mm. Now, now, for one, she's, they've had hold of her of $50,000 of her cash for two years. So if she could have yeah. had that in the bank, what I would say is that she could have bought just something else. different. Yeah. If, yeah. If you mm. could get in the time machine, go back two years and buy something in Melbourne for $500,000 2 years ago, you would, it would be hard to find something that had not gone up. Mm-hmm. Like, like, how could you, you'd have to actively try to lose money. Yeah. Now, now, I'm, you know, I could pull out that, that same story just with different names and different dates and different amounts, but the same story over and over again, mm. just mm. constantly, okay? Mm. Not, not 100% of the time, but if you say, tell me stories about um, all the times when evaluation has caused a, pro- caused a problem with the loan, 80 to 90% of them will involve an off-the-plan property. Oh, right? that's, that's pretty high like, risk, isn't it? They're just a killer. You know. Now, in her case, she's had, what I would say, she's had an opportunity cost. Mm. She's also, in my opinion now, stuck with a property, I should say stuck with, but it's not going to shoot up in value. Yeah. That's the reality, you know, not the way you would like it to. Okay, so there's, there's an opportunity cost there. Mm. Massive. Um, yeah. But I've also seen where people have um, 
been scrambling to get their hands on twenty, thirty thousand dollars, or they lose their deposit to make up the shortfall. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. it, it's tragic, you know. Or like, the I'm getting developers involved is... so late in the process. There's really not much. All you, can, all I can do is get you know, as many valuations as yeah. I can possibly do, and just hope that one of them comes in okay. Or yeah. comes in, which it, basically. You're talking about which bank you want to deal with. In that situation, is whichever bank you get the best valuation out of. That's that's now the bank you're going with. Yeah, you know, you've got no choice. So you've lost all control there. Of, of yeah, the, yeah. Of, so of I choice. guess to get back to the, the there's my there's my two cents on on off the plans. However, the, the so the valuation process, what happens with off the plan is there's a point where so nothing happens for ages, right? Mm. It's just nothing, nothing, nothing. Then. There's a point that they're going to say, "Hey, it's 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 almost finished, right?" And you've got to go and get valuations done. So now everything happens really quickly at the end, um, and you're you're just hoping they come up okay. But mm-hmm. it's just yeah, so that's common, a horror. So common that they're low. That's I've heard other brokers say that they they just basically problem solving. You know, they get one of those clients yeah. come to them and say, "Right, I need to to borrow to settle this thing that I bought." You know two years, three years, four years ago, mm. it's like, oh, right, okay, i just got to try and <laughs> solve this problem as opposed to... Come up with the, the best, the worst, best worst case. Yeah. I, I yeah. was just um, about two weeks ago, I was talking to some really lovely clients of mine, Charlie and Tom. They bought their first property, which was an off-the-plan purchase, and it settled a bit over a year ago. Uh, again, same valuation problems, but luckily they had, some, they had to put in a bit of extra cash, which the opposite of what they're expecting. Mm. Like, that's such a shock. Yeah, you think absolutely. you're making money, and instead you have to put more money in. Yeah. Um, but I guess to give it, you know, a year later, um, they're now looking to buy a bigger place, right? Already. Now, yeah. what we would usually be doing is leveraging the equity from that property, so they can use, so they can put in a smaller deposit on the mm. next one. We've had it revalued three times now. It's still worth what they paid for it. Mm. So, so now they so they signed a contract. They bought it now three. Maybe three and a half years ago, <laughs> two and a half years later, it still hadn't gone up when they settled. Another year, it's still worth what they paid for it. I mean, it's just heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Yeah, that's awful, isn't it? Mm. Um, because maybe like we you should say, do a whole other show, a whole other show, slagging off off the plan. We, we've done we, some. Uh, don't we have an episode. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Anyone, anyone not convinced by this conversation? Uh, go back to episode. I can't remember that off the oh, top look of my head. <laughs> All right. So it sounds to me, though, look, this has been really great for you to come along and explain the valuation process, explain also from the perspective of the banks. And I think it's good to understand really where they're coming from so that we do sort of get a sense of, like you say, you know, there's it's fight, David and Goliath fight. Like, do you, you know, pick your battles, I guess, is what you're saying about certain things. And, and I guess the other thing that you're really saying is that the antidote to this, the best way to protect yourself against valuation risk is, or settlement risk is another word for it, is Mm. really to do your homework in the first place, do your due diligence, understand what you're paying, um, and also just look to protect yourself from from unknowns, you know. So if you go in there having really worked through everything that you should have worked through and not relying on the valuation to actually come up with things like cladding, actually find that stuff out yourself before you get to that point, then, yeah. you know, that was a lucky save by the sounds of it, then mm. then you are going to be best placed to be one of those people who are the majority, as you say, who don't have an issue with the valuation. You know, I just, you remind me of one thing I might just, um, 
mention before we go because my we just bought a property in December, right? So we, we we've moved house and we were really happy. And my wife was saying to me yesterday, she's there on her phone. She's like, "Oh wow, look at this! I was just looking up something about our house. Oh, and a property report popped up. Oh, look at what our house is worth now." Now, um, it was my like straight away. I was trying not to be. Um, Broker, uh, honest, right? <laughs> honest about it, yes. But but for but for a start, she like I said, oh, what did it say? And she said, oh, it's worth it's worth somewhere between this and this. Now, just to give you an idea, it was a four hundred thousand dollar range. Yes, ah. from minimum to maximum. Yeah. And and uh, so so do you think that's very accurate? Like that's a pretty big range. She said, oh, but it looks like it's gone up in value. So the what it reminded me of is um, when we're saying do your homework, do your due diligence, that does not, I can't say this strong enough, that does not mean getting a free property report off somewhere, off a bank website or off any other property companies. Like if you want to do it just out of curiosity, do it. But if you're waiting quality of information, like it is, in my opinion, it's worthless. Right. I love that you said that. I think it's that. detrimental. Yeah. It's, it's not just yeah. worthless. It's detrimental unless you get yeah. uh, the comparable sales data as part of that report and then you pull it apart yourself and do your due diligence using that information. Yeah. So I just don't want anyone to think that we've we've talked a lot about due diligence and we've talked about different types of valuations. Just do not get mixed up by thinking that a property report online yep. Yep. equates to due diligence. It's the, the opposite. Right. We're going to put that, that up in lights. Yeah. Yes. That's going to be the quote of the, yeah. of the yeah. session. If, that, if we, that is the only thing you walk away from with this, then you've got something valuable. We, we did an exercise. Um, in fact, I think it's actually it's built the course. In, into, it's the our, the into course. our free course, free course. Yeah. Mm. which is it, it uses a, a couple of case studies on those those um, free valuations you can get. Now, I, I use the word valuations with rabbit ears around it. <laughs> And the spread and the range over a million-dollar property was something like that 40% spread. How can that yeah. possibly be helpful? So, totally, I'm glad you mentioned that. Thanks so much, Andrew. Really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience. We'll put your the link for your uh, website in the show notes as well in case anyone wants to reach out to you. And, um, yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Andrew. Hey, thanks very much. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.